1: Welcome to Right on Hollywood with Christian Toto, part of the Just the News Podcast Network. Sick of media bias infecting film reviews? Furious that too many stars insult your views? Right on Hollywood has your back. Christian is an award-winning journalist, movie critic, and founder of Hollywoodintoto.com, the right take on entertainment. Now here's your host, Christian Toto. Welcome to Right on Hollywood, part of the Just the News Podcast Network. This week's show is brought to you by Netflix, a proud supporter of free speech since, well, last week or so. This week's guest is an Oscar-winning makeup guru, and he offered up something in our discussion about the kind of work he does. He basically said he's not feeding the hungry or curing cancer, he's just working on movie sets. Of course, he's right. A movie doesn't feed a starving child or give hope to the sick or wounded, but movies still matter. Entertainment matters and I don't want to recognize that fact. My dad years and years ago taught me to love movies, and it's something I'll never forget. He died a few years ago, and the last movie we watched together was, wait for it, The Human Centipede. Dad enjoyed it almost as much as I did. I guess we're that kind of family, but no apologies here. Still, I look back on that moment, and, you know, he was pretty sick at the time, but it was just a father and son watching a movie together, Recoiling at times, laughing at other times. That moment mattered to me. And How many great memories has Hollywood given us over the years? Think about those killer first date movies you saw with your future wife or husband. Those action-adventure epics you saw as a teenager with all your buddies in the movie theater. Think about all the films, the comedies in particular, maybe we watched as children. That now we're watching with our own kids, our own grandchildren. Pop culture does matter. And yet, today's pop culture is more complicated. Disney seems intent on promoting a sexual agenda along with all the entertainment. Actors often bully people who don't align with their worldview. Too many films right now lecture us when they should be making us smile or think or just entertaining us. These examples aren't great, and they're certainly upsetting, But they remain the exception for now, even if they're growing in number and ferocity. Now, as you may know, this podcast can be pretty hard on Hollywood. I think the industry deserves it, more often than not. But I don't want to forget about the little kid who was watching Abbott and Costello movies with my dad so many years ago. That's why I got into this business in the first place. You know, Hollywood, warts and all, and there are a lot of warts, can give us joy like few other industries. And sometimes it could even take the pain away. About a year and a half ago, my wife was going through a number of tests and surgeries. She had breast cancer, and she needed a lot of medical help to help save her. And we think she's through the worst of it now, although if you're a cancer survivor, you know it always could come back. But I remember sitting with her in a hospital room at one point. She was in bed. We were both waiting, basically, for the surgical process to kick in that day. I'm sure she was scared, although she didn't say it. And I I know I was scared, at least for her. But we had to pass the time because, you know, it could have been 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 2 minutes until the surgical process kicked in. So what do you do? Well, I took off my phone, hit my YouTube app, and together we watched comedy clips from Sebastian Maniscalco. My wife and I smiled. We laughed. We held each other a little bit closer. It, It didn't last long. The surgery process kicked in pretty quick, and I put my phone away. But for that moment... We forgot all about why she was in that bed in the first place, because I know I did. I think she did too. And you know, I'll always be tough on Hollywood when the stars deserve it, when the industry deserves it. And like I said, that's early and often. But I can't forget the other side of Hollywood, the side that links our lives better, brighter, and even chases away the pain, if only for a moment. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Right on Hollywood. What's the dial?
0: And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place.
1: This week's Toto's Take is Drag Me to Hell. I love that title. Director Sam Raimi leans into his irreverent spirit, and he is wildly irreverent in this underrated horror film. We watch a loan officer who rejects an elderly woman's request for an extension. She has no money, the bank is calling. And of course, when she doesn't get that rejection, all hell breaks loose, literally. This is pure Sam Raimi. It's goofy, it's scary, it's innovative, it's a lot of fun. Alison Lohman and Justin Long play the couple here that are trying to fend off demons, trying to grab them. And it's just really enjoyable, and I think as a couple, they really work. They click on screen. You need that for a film like this to succeed. The effects can be a little cheesy, a little over-the-top for sure. That's what Sam Raimi does, but they're good enough. They're not a distraction, and uh, the fun part is the main ingredient here. This is just a fun movie, especially for horror fans. Now, Raimi delivered this film in 2009, which is basically when the Spider-Man cycle ran through, and you get a sense that, you know, after working on three big-budget movies, I'm sure the, uh, the powers that be were holding him in to a certain degree. He couldn't be his true, crazy self, but... This is where his heart lies. This is kind of the story he loves to tell. You can just sense that. Now the film made a, I guess, a minor splash at the box office. didn't Didn't bomb. wasn't a major hit. But seeing it now reminds you of the old Sam Raimi. Now he just directed Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, and you can just sense he's compromising on a certain level. You know, delivering what the MCU needs, what it wants, what the big bosses want. But you know, at the end of the day, he's the evil dead guy. And you want to see that kind of craziness, that kind of irreverent sense in his films. And that's exactly what you get with Drag Me to Hell, which is lurking right now on Hulu. And if you're a horror fan, if you, or if you missed it the first time, I think you're in for a treat. I met this week's guest while visiting the set of Terror on the Prairie in Montana late last year. That's the upcoming Daily Wire Western, out this summer. No release date yet, but we'll definitely let you know. His name is Jeff Don, and he seemed almost too good to be true, especially for a journalist. I always interview people, ask them questions, find out their background. And the more I learned about Jeff's background, the more I thought, man, only in the movies, right? He's an Oscar-winning makeup artist whose father, grandfather, and uncle all did the same for various Hollywood productions. You might have heard of a little film called Wizard of Oz. Yep, Jeff's grandfather worked on that particular film on the makeup division. Now Jeff's own Hollywood story is just as cool and just as magical. He's worked on some of the biggest films in modern memory, and that's not an exaggeration. How about The Terminator, True Lies, Star Trek IV, Total Recall, Predator, Get to the Joppa, sorry, couldn't, couldn't hold back there, and so many more. TV shows plenty too. He's done it all. He also got an Oscar for his work on Terminator 2, And I got the chance to see him in action during that Daily Wire shoot, which was a lot of fun. You don't get to, you know, as many interviews as I do, as many, uh, you know, uh, people I meet along the way. You don't often get on a movie set and see the, the hard work in action. It was just great. Now, it turns out Jeff is also a conservative. And that part of his resume is something he doesn't hide. He talks about it. And we have a good conversation about it in a few minutes. You'll hear it. There's no fear here. I kind of guess he's too talented to cancel, but Hollywood, you never know. Now, just one other quick note. This turned out to be, I think, my longest interview to date on Right on Hollywood. I was talking and having a great time and enjoying the conversation, and then the little Zoom account symbol popped up and said, you'll need to shut down this conversation very soon. So I had to do just that, but I would have kept on asking questions and questions all day long. Jeff is not only a super talented guy, but he's a great storyteller. Born storyteller, you could say, with lots of cool behind-the-scenes story, as you'll find out in a minute. I hope you enjoy my chat with Jeff Don. I know I can't wait to hear it again. Jeff, welcome to the show. I've been really looking forward to this conversation. But before we begin, I think it's... Maybe beneficial to define some terms here, makeup artists. I think people have an idea what that is. Obviously, you're among the best of the best. How do you describe it to people, and do people have a misperception about the work you do when they hear the title?
0: That's a good question, Christian. First off, thank you for inviting me on this. I'm a big fan. I'm a big supporter of, of everything from your books to your podcasts to your, your shows, and I am honored to be here today. Thank you. The, the question of makeup artist i'm asked this a lot of course living in oregon if you're in los angeles you say makeup artist and people go oh yeah i've got one on the left of me <laughs> in my neighborhood and one down the street and you know everybody knows everybody in the film business there but if in oregon you say makeup artist and people kind of stare at you for a second and go what Uh, you work at the mall or no, no, I work for film and television. Oh, anything that I've heard of? Yeah. Yeah. Probably. (laughs) You know, so I try to creep into that without, (laughs) without, you know, uh, having who I am and what I've achieved come in the room first, let them ask the questions. Yeah, But basically there are, there is the makeup department head who is the boss, just as there are many department heads on a film of grips and electricians and camera, you are head of the department. And it is up to me to, I get hired by a producer or a director or a production manager, somebody with some clout and power, because any department head that's hired, you have the, the ability to either make the person that hired you look good or bad. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, 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 I'm responsible for hundreds of thousands, sometimes millions of dollars. I'm responsible for very important timing, getting the actors and actresses out on set, on time, looking right. And also something that's really not spoken, but very important is getting their head together actors and actresses come in they're cranky they're 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 complaining they're insecure you know not all of them of course we're all human but it's kind of my job to say all right you know you're looking great we've had this conversation um i hope i've been helpful and go out and 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 with that energy you're putting into this conversation on screen. And, and I would imagine and, you know, that they, a
1: lot of your work is psychological. is kind of reading the actor, knowing what he or she wants, when to press, when to pull back, right?
0: Very, very much so. You know, actors, I always say they're like a bunch of children. <laughs> you know, they want to cry and scream and kick and go on the floor, but they have more power. So you have to be careful of these children. Sure. I have great respect for actors. I, I mean, I love, I love method actors who are some of the most difficult actors to be around. The, the term method actor is somebody who completely buries themselves in their character. You know, if they're a paraplegic or they have a a speech impediment, some actors want to be called the name that they are given in the script and they stay in that character. Well, that can be difficult to be around, but I've learned to not only work around people like that, but very much appreciate what that discipline does to transferring it to the screen.
1: That's interesting, and I'd, I'd expect the opposite. But you, you, you can kind of roll with that. With oh, that I, you know, I, I,
0: I actually get along very well with difficult people because mm-hmm. of my age and my resume. That usually comes in the door first. They know, and if they do something that's disrespectful or inappropriate to me or somebody that's under under my my department, then I will call them on it. And uh, this has happened many times, and depending on how you handle it, sometimes they don't like it, sometimes they appreciate it, they, but they always respect you for it, especially mm-hmm. if they know you're dead right.
1: Yeah. Now, your father worked in this field, your grandfather, I believe your uncle as well, Am I, did I have that right?
0: Yes. Okay. My grandfather was head of the MGM Maker Department for over 15 years. He came to Hollywood from Kentucky with his horse. He was an artist. <laughs> he became um, an extra and soon they learned that he could be anything that they wanted the next day if they wanted a you know a bearded miner to come in all dirty if they wanted a middle eastern this was in the days before this was an issue mm-hmm. you know and they would make anybody into any ethnicity of course we can't do that now but he would create these different characters and come to work with his horse and soon producers and production managers and and directors and actors saw this. And back in those days, directors, I mean, the actors did most of their own makeup and hair. So suddenly he was seen as somebody to help them out. And before you knew it, he was head of the department and was responsible for over a hundred films during his rule, including The Wizard of Oz. I'm familiar so with that then, title. <laughs> a small little movie that <laughs> That's most <right>. people <laughs> won't have to look up on IMDb. And, um, And then my father came along after World War II. He was a a P-38 fighter pilot with all kinds of credentials. And he became a makeup artist, a very respected special effects makeup artist, uh, worked with Alfred Hitchcock for many years, did the original show uh, Mission Impossible, won an Emmy. He's the one who taught me. And then his brother, Wes, also was a makeup artist for film and TV, big films. For 35 years so now i've been doing it for 41 i'm the third generation now you say
1: your de- your father taught you is this something you were actively looking to learn did you, did he take you on the set what what did that look like
0: good question my my father for my whole life growing up was people would say hey jeff what are you going to do for a living you're going to do what your dad does and my father many times would jump in and say no <laughs> he's not going to do the makeup he's going to be you know something else right right and I, so I heard this my whole life thinking, oh, OK, I don't want to disappoint him. And I, what I realized later on, it was just him. He realized how brutal the business can be. It can be very rewarding for travel and money and adventure and lack of boredom and just life experiences, but it can be brutal on a family. It's you know, you're gone for weeks and months at a time. When you're home, you're exhausted or not even there because the hours are so long. I tell people when I lecture about department heading, when you're department heading, it's almost like you would be having an affair. And people look at me like, what are you talking about? I go, think about it. You come home, you're exhausted. You've spent all of your emotion, your passion, your interest, your enthusiasm on another entity. You have nothing left to give your spouse or your mate. It doesn't need to be some stripper named Fifi. It can be the show that you're giving that all to. And it can be very destructive, as it was with my, my relationship. I've been divorced for many years now. But that's that was pretty much the reason why. And um, I wouldn't do it any other way because I love my life. And I love my children and and, and life has been great to me. But that was a cost of it. So he was telling me no, 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 you don't want to do that. And then suddenly, I got a hold of his union book. This was back in the late 70s. And I realized that as a makeup artist, I could make over $100 a day. (laughs) Wow. You know, and I was making, you know, 40 bucks or 30 bucks a day or something at a lumber yard at the time and going part time to to college. And so I decided I want to be a makeup artist. I had helped my father in the lab doing special effects for years, sculpting and mold making and creating all these things. Um, But it was just a job. Yeah. yeah. So I went to my uncle, who was also a makeup artist, and said, Wes, I don't want to tell your brother, my dad, (laughs) but I really want to be a makeup artist. Can you train me? Yeah. And he said, sure. So for the next six months, I followed Wes around. I, I did makeups. I you know, went on sets. Of course, I was non-union. I couldn't do makeup, but he would still let me. Hey, Jeff, trim this beard on this guy. Do this. Go do that. So finally, six months later, I went to my dad and said, Dad, I don't know how you're going to react to this, but I really thought about this. I researched it. I trained. I talked to Wes about it. And I really want to be a makeup artist. And it shocked me because he said, fantastic. I'll train you. (laughs) Because he wanted me to figure it out. He wanted me to make up my own mind, you know, just, okay, here's, you know, nepotism. You're going to get in and do what I do. And then he was all in and he trained me for the Uh, next year.
1: That's a great, that's a great parent. That's a, that's a wonderful way to approach it. Now, you know, the work you do is extremely artistic, maybe not in a conventional sense, like painting on a canvas, but did you find growing up that you had those skills as well? Did you have other sort of more traditional artistic sensibilities, or did it really pour into this specific outlet?
0: Well, I I was fortunate that I was raised in an artistic family. Mm-hmm. My father was a fantastic artist, whether it was sculpting, painting, visualizing, creation. He also had the confidence that he used to say, if I had enough money and time, I could build a rocket ship and fly it to the moon. <laughs> okay, of course, he would have died on, you know, on, on takeoff, but that kind of confidence was instilled in me and then I've instilled that in my two children now Um, and my mother also was very artistic she was a fantastic painter and just so I, I had that in the genes I haven't embraced it with the passion that so many wonderful artists do out there to me it's a tool I love to get into the whole artistic realm of creativity but then I have to click my brain over and become the business person yeah, because yeah. I'm very much a business department head in the film business. I, the makeup is pretty easy to me now. Yes, I have to think about it. Yes, I have to practice it if I haven't done a bald cap in six months or a year. You know, but it all comes with like bicycle riding. It comes back. It's the business part. It's the politics. It's the craziness. When things get crazy on a set, I'm like a you know, a dog wagging its tail. It's like, ooh, now we're having fun. Now we're going to start testing people. Right, right. Now we're going to look around and see what people are made of. You know, so I, I the, the the crazier the business gets, I kind of just love that.
1: Now I want to ask specifically about a movie that earned you an Academy Award, Terminator Two, with James Cameron. He's one of the most. Uh, how do you even describe James Cameron? He breaks boundaries. <laughs> he's an innovator. He he strikes me as someone who has a very specific, unique vision. I would think that would be challenging for you, but it sounds like maybe it was the opposite. Any memories of working with Cameron and, and what that oh. was like as opposed to someone other director?
0: T- tons of memories. Terminator <laughs> 1, uh, Terminator 2, True Lies, um, Terminator 3D that was made for the Universal Studios, um, and, and other movies that I couldn't do that he would, was wanting to do. and. And at the time, this was in 1983, I I got a call from a producer that no one had heard of named Gail Ann Hurd. (laughs) Of course, Gail Ann Hurd is a huge producer, ended up being one of James Cameron's several wives, and um, she was producing this. And she said, we'd like to bring you in and talk with you. So I went up to Gail Ann Hurd's house up on Mulholland Boulevard, looking out over the San Fernando Valley, in Southern California where I met this no-name director named James Cameron. Of course, James Cameron was, uh, uh, this was his second film. He was fired off of Piranha 2 um, because his vision was different than theirs. Hmm. Um, He had been a a production designer for um, a Corman and he was a very, very talented guy who had written Terminator 1 and had put together like $6.9 million Uh, which was very low budget um, for this huge film that took us 10 weeks to shoot. And I interviewed with them and they said, great, you're you're just exactly what we're looking for. You have makeup effects background and you're hungry and you're non-union and you'll do it for $800 a week. And they said, well, you just need to meet with Stan Winston, Stan is doing our, our, our makeup effects and he has it in his contract that he gets to finally approve any makeup department, no problem. So I go over and I meet Stan Winston, at his shop. And I'd never met Stan. He knew of me through my dad. Of course, he knew my dad. They were both of the same circle. And we got along great. And he said, okay, kid, uh, you're on. Welcome to the show. And he had said at the time, um, he goes, we're doing a test on Arnold. In about a week, I'd like you to come and observe. Great. Well, I was the biggest fan of Arnold Schwarzenegger. I was into bodybuilding at the time. I'd watched all of his movies. And I literally had posters up, I had read his book several times, education of a bodybuilder. I was besides myself, mm-hmm. I'm going to work with Arnold Schwarzenegger, I might even be able to work on him, I might be able to touch him. <laughs> so a week come, goes by, and I go to Stan's studio, and we're all there. and We were going to do, um, a, Stan's people were going to do these eyebrow covers. That covered Arnold's eyebrows to give the look of Arnold after he'd gone through the fire, and his hair was burned, and his eyebrows were burned off. And this was kind of one-on-one for me, but still, this was a, this was a big test. And Arnold walks in, "Hey everybody, you look fantastic. How y'all doing today?" You know, and I'm going, "Oh, well, this is so cool." Because I used to joke around in the gym, you know, "Hey, let's go have lunch. This is Arnold," you know, and "Hey Jeff, do your Arnold impression again." No, no matter how bad it was, people could get enough of it. Which I later did for Arnold many times (laughs) and he comes and sits down and nobody's touching him there's like everything's laid out I'm thinking uh I think I'm here to watch but nobody's touching him I'm like okay now or never I just pick up the appliance and I start putting it on and I did them both and they turned out really good and I think it was a test that Stan did I don't know if it was I'll never know because Stan of course has passed away a few years back Stan Winston, the the great makeup effects creator of so many things from Jurassic Park to Alien to Terminator, uh, multiple Academy Award winner, and um, so he said, "Hey, I watched what you did in there. That was that was really nice work." He said, "I wasn't sure if you were going to be the makeup straight makeup department head or if you were going to be heading up the applications." And he said, "I'd like you to to to, to do the applications. My guys will come in and help as needed, but." for the most part, it's it's your baby. I went, okay. <laughs> and that was it. We were off and running. Yeah. So that's what got me going. And, and I got along very well with James Cameron. He was tough, but with James Cameron, people generally don't quit James Cameron films because James Cameron will call you on. We all make mistakes with our work, but we get very good at covering it. Oh, Okay. Where you're a carpenter or you're a makeup department head. You know, you get very good at, okay, that didn't work out so well here. We're just going to say this or do this and nobody will know. Well, James Cameron is so smart and so good at everybody's department that he calls people on it all the time. So when you're busted by James Cameron, it's painful, it's public, but you know you screwed up. You don't generally say, screw you, I'm off this show. You feel like, all right, I just, what's what's the constant here? I got to get my game together a little better with James Cameron. And when you're when you're done with a James Cameron film, you're never better at your craft than at that moment. That's so know, it's so interesting. Like if you take a driver's license test, you never know as <laughs> much right. about the test as you do right then because you studied yeah. like crazy for it. So I have great respect for James Cameron. Has he yelled at me several times? Yes. Did I deserve it? Hell yes. Gotcha. One one quick story. Yeah, yeah. We were on Terminator Two. Do you have a minute for this? Yeah, of course.
1: And by the so, way, I imagine the yeah. jump in budget from one to two in Terminator was huge, oh, right? Yeah, yeah. So that, that makes it easier for you,
0: or uh, yes and no. Of course, you know I'm. Uh, Terminator Two was I don't remember what it was, but it was well over hundred million, mm-hmm. and you know which is gigantic for nineteen ninety. Um, it was a I think it was the most expensive film of all time. And Luckily, it made the most box office that year, too, um, not to mention winning three Academy Awards. Um, so, yes, but as I got more savvy with bigger budgets and bigger responsibilities and such, Terminator 1, was we shot it in 84. Terminator 2, we shot in 90. So in those six years, I had gained a lot of experience and mm-hmm. was ready for that and you know you don't have to worry about the cost of supplies and the cost of you know i can't use that many sponges i got to got to make this glue stretch we had deep pockets on terminator too that's interesting and so that was that was nice and you know, the materials had changed a bit the technology had changed a bit and uh, so you know i was just i was along for the ride with all of it keeping up with it and but, but the, the story with james Cameron, one of one of several um, he and I used to have kind of a sarcastic, quick-witted, you know, banter back and forth, and it was always fun. But you, you always have to let Jim Cameron win, of course, <laughs> at the end. Um, whether if I had a better, a better line on something, I would back down. Right. Um, but we were doing some pickup shots in Southern California, where Arnold was in his full facial makeup. We're talking you know, four or five hours with the makeup. With a light on for his eye that's supposedly missing, and turn this off. No worries. And I was at lunch, and, a, and an AD came up to her, A PA came up to me and said, "Hey, James, wants you to take that light off of the of the plastic piece that's over the eye. He's going to do a super close up shot after lunch from a profile, and he doesn't want to see that little light bulb sticking there." This should actually be a hole where his eye is. and I go, OK, what are they going to do? He goes, well, they'll probably rotoscope it in if they if they, you know, to, to, to see the light. Mm-hmm. OK, great. Well, the mistake I made then never to be made again is I didn't just get up, walk to the set and say, hey, Jim, this is what I'm being told. Do you realize that if I take the light off, it's off for the day? It's a big deal. The light comes off. I take it off. Of, I cut it out of the prosthetic that goes over his head and down his back into the battery pack. It's gone for the day. Well, I told this to the PA, but I didn't tell this to James Cameron. So I take it all off, we go on the set, we film that one profile shot. And Jim says, all right, Dawn, put the light back on. (laughs) It works in the next shot. And I'm like, uh, Jim, I I I was told that you were aware that when the light comes off, it's not going back today. He's like, what? What was I supposed to do the next rest of the day? And I said, I was told that it was going to be a rotoscope shot. Oh, so now I have to do a $50,000 rotoscope shot because <laughs> you're not willing to put the light back on. I'm thinking, This is going horribly wrong. This is in front of 100 people. <laughs> and of course, I'm dead wrong here. You know, what's the constant here? And so I go, OK, I need 30 minutes. I need three people. I need a light and a chair and a table right here. Hopefully we can get it done in 30 minutes. And we did, you know, sweating bullets the yeah, whole time. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, there are times like that that you get yelled at, and it's just like, I deserved it, so help me God, I'll never do that again.
1: Yeah. Now, you've worked with some of the just the biggest names, Arnold Schwarzenegger, The Rock, you name it, you've worked with them. Is there one actor, and I think if we had a few beers, maybe we talk about the opposite of this question, but is there one actor <laughs> you worked with who is just a delight or just easy to, to kind of coordinate with or makes your yeah, job you easier? You know,
0: I, I have been so fortunate, and luckily, there, there are horror stories out there, but luckily... The kind of shows I do, the kind of people I work with and my own approach to it, Mm. I've found that actors and actresses generally treat me and makeup artists and hairdressers in general very well. Good, good. We're there to make them look good. We're there to take care of them. We're in their space. We're touching them. We know their vulnerable, insecure sides. We see them at their worst. They generally treat us with respect and and, and joy. Um, That said, I've never been the type of person that goes out and hangs out with actors and actresses. I I tell people when I lecture on department heading, I say everyone in here probably wants to work with stars and they all raise their hand. Yeah, 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 because it's good money, you know, you come and go with a star, all of that. And I said, what you want to be very careful of is you do not support them in the lifestyle that they are accustomed to at that moment too much. Meaning if they're into golf, if they're into drugs, if they're into gambling, if they're into drinking, if they want to party, whether it's positive or negative. I've seen many times, not with myself, but with other makeup and hair teams that work for stars, that that star goes through a change. Oh, my career is falling apart. Time to clean house I get rid of my agent. Get rid of my my publicist and my accountant and my attorney, all these things. And they and if you have been supportive in something that they deem is now negative, that they no longer support, you're gone. You know, if you used to party with them, and now they're going to AA, you're gone. So my suggestion is be professional, do your job, be polite, and do not try to be who they are. That and is that excellent is, advice. I bet. Oh, that's... <laughs> man, I know. Because like, people want to do yeah. that. Oh, hey, let's go party. Let's go do this. Oh, I'm not into drinking, but he wants to do some shots. Let's do that. Yeah. Well, yeah. those days end for those actors and actresses, and they will clean house and get rid of you in a heartbeat.
1: Very interesting. Uh,
0: Jeff, I know that you're
1: a right-of-center person off-screen, and, and while you think that would have absolutely no impact on the work you do, you don't work on political matters, you work on special effects and makeup, Does it? has it been an issue in any capacity through your career? And I guess I'm probably asking more specifically more recently, just because the tenor of the times, we're a more tribal nation, we're kind of at each other's right. throats. How has that impacted your career, if at all?
0: Well, I mean, my career having to do with politics involved really wasn't much to talk about until just a few years ago. I was raised by a Democratic mother and a Republican father that were neither one of them were very political. When I first was able to vote in 1976, when I turned 18, I voted for Jimmy Carter, you know. (laughs) <laughs> Little did I know, um, <laughs> you, meant, I voted well. you for, meant well, uh, yeah. And I voted for other Democrats over the years. Um, I haven't voted Democratic for probably two decades, and I cannot imagine ever doing that again. Um, and it's where as you and all of us who used to consider ourselves right of center, we have been pushed away by the left, you know, and, and even people that are left of center you know these these people the the, the joe rogan's the bill Mayors, mm-hmm. the john stossels the the russell brands you know the the even the the, the bill burrs they the, some of them are libertarians they're all starting to talk like republicans now because the insanity that's gone on with the left i mean someone that like like bill Mayer who says look at when i get a hard time when i get you know evil words from the left how can you say this about your own people he says i've always thought the same i've always been the same liberal democrat now the liberal democrats have gone crazy they've gone too far and now that's what's changed so i i really like that approach to it um over the last few years i was for the last two years i took care of my girlfriend who was ailing with a dementia i was her Full-time caregiver, so I took myself pretty much off the market for working. Mm-hmm. It was good timing because of COVID, but I got more and more involved with politics and listening to all sides. And of course, that was the time you know, through through Trump and then through the craziness of the uh, of our administration. Now it's hard not to get involved because we're all living the, the garbage heap that we're in right now, mm-hmm. and. When I was working on Hawaii Five O for ten years, up until a couple of years ago, there was a handful of conservatives on the show, and we get together and talk. But we weren't really concerned about what people heard from us. We were proud of it, and if anybody asks us, yes, yeah, we're conservative. Well, now you can't do that. You know, if you're on a typical film, you literally have to be quiet. And the only reason I'm coming out it's twofold, threefold. <laughs> One, I'm pissed off and mad as hell, so <laughs> I want to say something to more than just the mirror. Um. I'm getting near the end of my career. I'm 63 years old. I still love what I'm doing. I'm passionate about it and do it well. And I continue to for a few more years, but I don't, I wouldn't have done this 10 years ago. And also, the the people that are watching conservative podcasts and news and things like that generally are different than the liberal people. Those who might, of course, you can go on Google and find many different speeches that I've done and talks and podcasts now where I, I cross into a very conservative realm a lot of a lot of liberals aren't searching those things they're not looking yeah, for that yeah. so uh am i worried no not anymore i will talk very openly but i'll make sure that my facts are straight and i don't come across like a crazy person
1: gotcha no problem there well uh, jeff before we let you go, let's talk about terror on the prairie First of all, how would you describe uh, your contributions? And did you reach out to Dallas Sonier about the project? Did you hear about it? And, and kinda, I was kind of curious how that, I, th- I think you may have mentioned this when we, we first met, but I just want to just share that real quickly.
0: Yes, this is a story that Dallas loves to tell also, <laughs> because it really was kind of a Cinderella story for me. I typically don't get hired off my resume. Like I mentioned before, You know, when you're, you, you're hired by people that have history with you so that they can vouch for you for the time and the money and the potential damage or success you can impart on the film with Terror on the Prairie. I was going through one of the the uh, the the the, the rags on the Internet that talk about different uh, productions, and I saw this Gina Carano production. Now, I have been a huge Daily Wire Ben Shapiro fan for the last probably two or three years. Um, All the people over there and many of their They're satellite folks. Um, And I was so I was very aware of the Gina Carano Disney Mandalorian situation. Very upset at it. Okay, I immediately canceled my my uh, 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 my Disney Mm -hmm. um, subscription um, because I am a big believer in, you know, our our dollars are our vote now. Just like uh, DeSantis says, you know, for for Florida, you know, people people vote with their feet. Well, people vote with their dollars. Yep. Yep. So. You know, things like Twitter went away. It's now back again in my world. Um, Disney and so many others that were woke, I just will refuse to, to spend a dollar on them. Um, I, so I was very upset at that whole situation and followed it very closely. When I heard that Ben Shapiro was doing this project called Tear on the Prairie with Gina Carano, oh my gosh, and there was a couple of email addresses for a Dallas Sonier mm-hmm. and, and Amanda um, Presnick Didn't know who these people were. So I sat down and I have this, this um this email in front of me that I sent them. And this was just completely cold to them. It said, it says, Hello, producers of the Daily Wire project. As a loyal conservative follower, Ben Shapiro and all at the Daily Wire, I have been enthusiastic for this project since learning of Miss Carano being let go by Disney. Then learning the Daily Wire would support her and create a non-woke project for her. If I could be of any help on this film, I'm all yours. As you can see, my qualifications are strong. And I sent my resume. <laughs> thank you, Jeff Don, a rare conservative working in the film business. Well, I immediately and I thought, OK, that's just a you know, forget it. I'll never hear from that. I immediately get an email back from Dallas saying, wow, thank you, Jeff. Exclamation point. My producer, Amanda, will be contacting you ASAP.
1: <laughs>
0: I got a call from Amanda. We talked for about an hour. Realized that as Amanda said, we're on the same team, yep. And we talked everything from COVID to, um, you know, which I'm 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 a, a, a for me, I'm a vaxxed person, i it works for me, but I'm also I will fight for other people's right to have a choice, you know. I I'm just, with you, I'm, I'm vaccinated, so yeah, you know, and for whatever reason, whether it's a immunity, whether it's religion, whether it's toxicity. You're pregnant. I don't care if it's important to you. I am 100% supportive of it. And when you know, when the government says you have to do this or you're going to get fired, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I want to go to the computer and start writing letters. <laughs> um, so. You know, I was and she said, well, we don't have a, a vaccine mandate on this. We don't care who's vaccinated, and who isn't. We will test for COVID. We do not have a, a mask mandate. And I'm like, oh, we're shooting in, in, in Montana, which I love because I resonate with, with Montana very well. I moved to, to a rural town, Bend, Oregon, 32 years ago in Oregon. Now it's no longer a cute little conservative rural town. Um, but I, I still gravitate towards those little areas and states. So I ended up hiring a crew. Um, none of them were vaccinated. It was not a criteria for me. Uh, I talked to them about masks. Are you okay with not having masks? We will be tested. Yeah, no problem, no problem. We all met up over in uh, in in Montana, met everybody. Um, And I have to say and I've said this so many times in interviews and to people like Dallas and and Amanda of the 40 plus films I have department headed, I've never been on a film that I've enjoyed as much. I've enjoyed the people as much. And that has been as diverse as as it was and who would think this conservative film you know shooting in montana i had a relative a a very liberal um older very educated portland relative say to me when i got back did you find the people on the show and in montana to be bigots were they racists oh my gosh (laughs) (laughs) and i laughed and i said you realize that this was the least racist film i've ever (laughs) done we had i had a black hairdresser We had a black first ad we had ethnicities all over the place and none of them were a quota none of them were deemed by the studio they were all people that wanted to work on the film that had qualifications and it wasn't a big deal whatsoever you know when i'm doing bigger films departments stick together ethnicities stick together you just kind of gravitate more towards your people it seems when you're on these you know 100 200 million dollar films With this smaller budget film, we were I know a little bit about everybody on the show. I've had dinner with just about everybody on the show. I've driven people back and forth to the set. I don't care who you are, what you do. We were all so close and oh man, am I thankful to them. Excellent. Because I had the greatest time.
1: <laughs> well, I can't and- wait to see Terror in the Prairie. It's coming this summer. We'll have more information on that shortly. Jeff, what a treat to have you on Writer in Hollywood. Of course, watch The Daily Wire, read The Daily Wire. They'll be giving you updates on when the movie is coming out. I was on the set, and uh, I just couldn't be more intrigued, more excited to see it. And uh, Jeff, what a career. Uh, I wish I had more time, but, uh, I, you know, your, your, your work speaks for itself, and I just love your attitude, and... Uh, keep making movies look better and look making stars look uglier <laughs> if they need be, or, or more scary, whatever the, whatever the case may be. Thanks so
0: much. Thank you, Christian, for this. And I, I love, you know, I, I've got a radio voice, so I like to get out there and, 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 and share some of my experiences and maybe even a little wisdom at 63 years old once in a while. So happy to help you or any of your friends with any of these, any of these conversations. Visit SleepingDogsMovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's SleepingDogsMovie.com slash Wondery.
1: Thanks for listening to Ride on Hollywood. I really love your support. There are changes afoot with the EO podcast, and I'll share more about them next week, I promise. I'll keep people in a suspense for now, but uh, hopefully good things will be changing as well. But for now... I hope you soak in the start of the summer. I know it's not officially summer, but boy, I'm in Denver, and it sure feels like it. And just know your local movie house, their A.C. is always cranking and always waiting for you. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to the Right on Hollywood podcast, part of the Just the News Network. We'd love to hear from you about the show. You can email christian at hollywoodintoto.com. And please don't forget to rate and review us at Apple Podcasts. Five-star reviews make our day. But just speak from the heart. Free speech matters more than ever.